Lord, thank you for having us here. And I do pray, dear God, would you please speak to our hearts? Would you please change us? Lord, I pray if there's someone here who is not sure where they'll spend eternity, I pray that you would please show them how much you love them. Let them see the depth of their of depravity. I pray that they would see that you are more than willing to save them from their sins. Lord, we're excited about what you'll do. And I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as I told you, my wife Hannah is here, and uh, so we are, uh, uh, we, our home now is in Dothan, Alabama. What I do is I travel around the nation, and I get to preach in uh, revival meetings and such during the school year, and during the summer, I get to be in some Bible camps in different places, and so how many of you have been at a Bible camp where I've preached before? Would you raise your hand? I know I've seen some of you here. Okay, good, good, good. Um, I love being in Bible camps during the summer. One of the things, though, is that uh, when, I, when my wife and I first got married, we immediately moved to Dothan, Alabama, and that's where my home church is. I did a few years of youth pastoring. One of the things that, uh, that is there in our home area of Dothan, Alabama. Now, different places are known for different things, right? You know, maybe your town is known for something really weird. How many of you, your hometown is known for something really weird and random? Anyone like that? Okay. Um, so where I'm from, Do- or where our home is in Dothan, Alabama, I'm telling you what, we are known as the National peanut capital of the world. Y'all want peanuts? Y'all come on down to Dothan, Alabama, y'all. I mean, it is kind of, it's kind of weird uh, how that's uh, for a thing to be known for. And we have, we don't have a fair in Dothan, Alabama. We have the National Peanut Festival. Oh yeah. You want to come, you want peanuts? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's us. So we, um, we went several years and best part of the whole thing, Demo Derby. How many of you like watching cars smash into each other? Anyone like that? Us too, yeah. The big, uh, we loved it, yeah, especially when, you know, when um, this one time cars sma- were smashing into each other and the one got tipped on its side, tipped over, there was kind of a fireball caught on fire, all these rednecks running out there with these uh, fire extinguishers, spraying it down, and the driver, and you're like, and everyone's kind of on edge looking, the driver climbs out the window, they're spraying everything, and he jumps out, looks at the car, looks at the crowd, and goes... That's all right. Oh, he's fine. Okay, everything's good. Everything's good, yeah. Um, so that, that's, um, that's what we like in Dothan, Alabama. So we were walking at this National Peanut Festival, kind of, you might even think, kind of like this. We were walking down this thing that was inside, had a nice long aisle uh, down the middle, and on either side, there were vendors. Now, you know, these vendor people, you got to be careful. You don't want to make eye contact with them. Otherwise, they'll try to sign you up for Avon or something like that, or, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so when this was happening, uh, we're going down this aisle, and one of the things that my wife and I did is there was a uh, there was a raffle where you could sign up to win a free cruise. Well, okay, sure, like we'll win. So we signed up, put our cards in the thing. Folks, I'm here to tell you this. A few, I don't know if it was a week or two later, we got the call, we won. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's me. And so, uh, so we got the call that we won. We were in the car driving. We're like, oh, what, what number is this? So I answered it. And, and they're telling us about how we won it. And, it was, and they were telling us information about it. And this was cool. And uh, so they were telling us about how it would be. And, so they, were, and, and uh, so they were saying, okay, so the one thing, so the entire thing, you know, there's always like a little catch, right? So the whole thing was free, except for there was this one, um, except the one thing they were not allowed, I guess legally, they said, to offer as free is the taxes that would have to go on it. So, and it wasn't very much to pay the taxes. It was only like, it wasn't in the realm of a cruise, it was not that much money. And so they said, basically, so we just need to get that paid for, that will get your spot settled and reserved, and then you'll be ready to go on this cruise. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And, uh, and so we're, we're kind of excited about this. And so, you know, you have to, you know, you pay over the phone with credit card and guys, we're going to tell you what, all of a sudden it hit me. A guy called me. I technically don't know who he is. I haven't seen a brochure. I haven't seen a website, 
and I am about to give him my credit card over the phone. And I remember when that clicked for both of us. And we took a moment, and we discussed it, and we got back on the phone with him. We said, you know, I think we're going to pass on this. He said, now, if you pass on this, we're going to have to offer it to the next person. Like, we're good. And, I, and so we hung up the phone. And I'm going to tell you what, guys, we were almost scammed. I mean, we were that close to giving our credit card number to who knows who, probably someone over in India, you know, and we had no idea what, we had no idea who these people were, and we were that close, you could say this, we were almost scammed, but we weren't, huh. but almost. Let me tell you, you say, Matt, why would you, why, why do you tell us that story? Because here's, here's what I know. I don't know all of you out here, okay? I know some of you from different places where I preach and different events, and I, there's a lot of you out here that we don't know each other. We'll try, we're gonna, my wife and I are gonna be hanging out all day. I hope we'll get to know some of you a little bit better. But listen, some of you out here, you know your Bibles a lot. And you know a lot of things about God. You know a lot of things about your Bibles. You've been to church a lot. Great. Then there's some of you out here, and you really don't know your Bible very much. Maybe you don't go to church very much, and, and that's who you are. That's just you haven't been to church very much, and, uh, and you know, don't know a whole lot about God's Word. Maybe you're one of those people that you would say, you know, uh, uh, you would say, you know what, I have a lot of respect for God. I have a lot of respect for, for Jesus and for church, but you'd say, you know, I'm just not sure that I'm, like, ready to commit to God or ready to totally commit to being a Christian, Hey guys, in the same way that I was almost scammed, can I go on the flip side of that and let you guys know there is a danger of being almost a Christian? Because that's where some of you are. She would say, hey, I mean, I know some things about the Bible. Hey, I, got, I respect God. I, kinda, you know, I like church and all that. But you would say, you know, I'm not, really, uh, I'm not really ready to commit to being a Christian yet. I just don't know if that's really for me. Young people, listen very carefully. I want you today to see the danger of being almost a Christian. Because there's a man in the Bible who he said, basically he said, I'm almost a Christian. And you know, some of you in this room, I'll say this too, some of you in this room, you know your Bible's inside and out, you're dressed well, you look the part, and everyone else thinks you're saved, and you know you're not. You're playing the fake. Let me warn you guys, God will not be faked out by you. I know you've successfully faked out your parents and your youth pastor and your pastor. Guess what? God is not gonna be faked at all when you stand before him one day. Are you almost a Christian? I want you today to see the danger of being almost a Christian. Because we're in the book of Acts, chapter 26. Now, let me, now, I love history. Out of all those random questions up here, some weird questions, the one that I immediately knew was, that was uh, I forget how many history questions there were, but the one about World War I, I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that one. Because I, I love history. History is um, the thing that I, that I enjoy. You know, um, how many of you like history? You like me? You like history? Okay. How many of you like math? Anyone like math? What's wrong with you? I don't know what happened to you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I believe that math is one of those things created by hurting people to hurt people. Anyone agree with me? Anyone? Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. That's a, that's a quote you can take with you through life, okay? And, um, but uh, so I enjoy history. And so the Bible really, remember the Bible, it's not just some obscure book with a bunch of random, uh, random uh, commands in it. It is also a book of history that tells us about history that God says is vital for your knowledge. In fact, uh, it, was it was after Jesus had been on this earth, after he had died and risen and ascended back into heaven, that the apostle Paul was going about doing his ministry. And uh, one of the things that happened to Paul a lot was he was put in prison, not because he was a criminal, but because he preached 
the Bible. That was all that he was put into prison for. And so there was a time that he was in prison, and the Bible tells us that at this time when he was in prison, in Acts chapter 26, there was a guy by the name of Festus who was what we call the Roman procurator. In Palestine, uh, the Roman Empire had taken over Palestine, and so they were, uh, and so the Roman Empire was really who was in charge. The Jews were there, but the Roman Empire was in charge, and so the Roman procurator was kind of like the governor, and he was the one who really had all the power there in the, uh, in the nation of, of, uh, of Israel. And as Festus came to power, one of his first jobs that he had to do was he had to deal with, um, with a guy uh, who was in his prison cell by the name of Paul. And Paul the Apostle had been put there. Again, he wasn't there, and this probably confused Festus because he wasn't put there because he had because he was a thief. He wasn't put there because he was a murderer. He wasn't put there because he was a forger or some kind of a criminal. He was put there because of religious reasons. He was in prison because someone didn't like what he was preaching. Well, the Bible tells us that there was a, a king by the name of Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa was a Jew. Uh, now, now, don't let the, na- the uh, title king throw you off because even though Agrippa was a king, technically, I guess you might say king of the Jews, he really didn't have any power, but uh, he liked the title king and him and the procurator, they was bu- their families were buddies. And so what the Bible tells us is that King Agrippa was coming down to visit Festus and, and really what it was for was he was just coming down to kind of like congratulate him on his new position and so it, it would kind of look like this. It would look like, you know, here comes Agrippa down to where Festus is. They say, hey, congratulations on your position. Let's party for a week. That's literally what they would do is uh, just to celebrate it. And so he was coming down for this. Now, when Festus knew about this coming down, you can read this all about this in, in uh, Acts chapter 25 and 26. When Festus knew that Agrippa was coming down, he knew this. Agrippa was a Jew. So he knew, uh, okay, Agrippa's very religious. And so he's maybe uh, will understand this whole um, thing with Paul and these religious charges that he has been given that has been in prison. And so once Agrippa arrived, Festus basically said, hey, will you do, let me do a hearing? I got this prisoner that I've got to deal with. I've got to write a report about him. And so would you mind, you know, uh, would you mind if I did a hearing and brought, the, uh, brought Paul in so we could do a hearing with him so that when I write my report, I can have a guy who understands this Jewish religion who can kind of help me write this report because I don't understand all of what's going on. So Agrippa agrees and Paul, the apostle, is brought before King Agrippa and the Roman procurator Festus. You know, obviously, uh, Paul presented some things to, to tell why he was innocent. But you know what the big thing he did when he was in front of those two men that he did was he presented his testimony and told about how God could change his life. You know why? Because he wanted those two men to become real Christians. Can I tell you something, young people? That's our desire this morning. Why we have rekindled? We want y'all to have a good time. We want you to enjoy yourselves, enjoy a day off of school. But listen, above all, we want you to leave here knowing that you're a Christian. Not saying I hope so, <coughs> not saying maybe so, but saying I know so that God has saved me from my sins. So first of all, first of this morning, I want you to see this, the blessing of knowing that you're a Christian. You know, one of the things as Paul presented his testimony that he had to come to grips with was the fact that he had thought for the longest time that he knew how a person could could have salvation, how a person could get to heaven and have eternal life. You know, there's a lot of people on this world who if you were to ask them, how does a person have eternal life? How does a person get to heaven? Lots of people have lots of different ideas. So you might say, okay, so he has this idea, she has this idea, who gets to say who's right? Here we go. The final authority is God's Bible. 
Because you know, when you stand before God one day, God is not gonna say, uh, let me get out the list of denominations. What denomination were you? Because I gotta know how I'm gonna judge you. God is not gonna do that. He will judge you based on his scriptures, his Bible. And so Paul, one of the things he had to come to grips with was the fact that for the longest time, he believed a wrong way to heaven, just like some of you. Just like some of you. And he gives his testimony in verse, chapter 26, verse number 12. He talks about, Wherefore, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, Paul said, I saw in the way a light from heaven. So what Paul was saying was, back in the day, Paul was a, he really, he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a high-level um, uh, Jewish ruler. And do you know what? One of Paul's jobs was, Paul's job before he became a Christian was he was out to persecute Christians. In other words, it was, his, it was really almost his full-time job to go find Christians like some of you in this room, to go find Christians and put them in jail or murder them. What a job. And you know, he says, as I was going about doing this thing, he said, I thought I was serving God. I thought I was doing God a favor by going out and finding these Christians, putting them in jail or getting rid of them. And he said, it was on the road to Damascus, the city of Damascus in Syria. It says that he was all of a sudden confronted by God himself. And one of the things as God confronted him, Paul had to come to grips with was the fact that Paul had believed a wrong way to heaven. In fact, for the big problem was Paul believed for the longest time that his works could get him to heaven. He said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul said, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. He doesn't say the law is a thing we got to follow in order to gain heaven. He says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Because, folks, our good works can never earn us eternal life. You say, how do you know? It's not what I know. It's what the Bible says. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, salvation is a gift of God, it says in verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if you could get to heaven by doing good works, guess what you'd do in heaven the whole time? You'd brag. You'd brag and get arrogant, and so would I. That's why God says salvation is not by your good works, but it is according to my mercy that I would save sinners like us. But also, Paul had to listen. Not only did he have to recognize he'd been following a wrong way to heaven, but Paul had to also listen to conviction. In verse number 13, he says, when I was on the road to Damascus, he said, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and then which journeyed with me. It was God really revealing himself to Paul. Verse 14 says, and when we were all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's old name, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And this is the voice of God speaking to him. And then God says this to Paul. He says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, that is a phrase we do not use. That is some very old English. What exactly does that mean? Okay, what does it mean when, Paul, when God tells Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks? The word, um, the phrase there, it, it went back to kind of farming days. What they would do is if farmers wanted to drive their animals, like um, uh, you know, if they wanted to drive them along a road, if they've got oxen or something like that, and they got to take them somewhere, they'd be bringing them down the road. And if they wanted their animals to speed up, they had a tool, called, we would call it like a goad. And so it was kind of, it sort of might look like a spear, but it wasn't a spear. It wasn't meant to injure anybody, uh, injure uh, the animals. It would just, because um, it, it had a point, but it was sort of blunted. And so if they wanted the animal to hurry up, they'd poke it. 
might go good with your younger brothers and sisters sometime. Maybe make yourself a goat and uh, say, I learned about this at the Ray Kendall Conference. That's all I learned. And, um, and so and they'd take this goat and they'd poke the animal a little bit. The animal was, wouldn't move along. Now, sometimes the animals got tired of being poked. And so they would kick back. You know what ended up happening is if that animal kicked and their foot hit against that goad, it would hurt way worse for that animal than if it had just moved along. And you know what God says to Paul? He says, it's really hard to kick against the goad. In other words, what had been happening was this. God, could we say it this way? God had been poking Paul and saying, hey, you need to get saved. He had seen the testimony of Christians before him. He had probably heard the gospel. I mean, he heard Stephen's sermon before uh, before Stephen was murdered for his faith in Jesus Christ. And, And God was using circumstances to poke Paul to say, hey, you need to get saved. Hey, you need to accept Jesus as your savior from your sins. Hey, this way you thought it was just good works to get to heaven? That ain't right. And God was poking him. Can I ask you a question? Has God been trying to get your attention? Has God been trying to get your attention? Because some of you, like I said, some of you are playing the fake. Some of you, you aren't playing the fake. You just straight up know that you've never asked Jesus to save you from your sins. You know what God in his mercy does? Is God doesn't like the first opportunity he has. It's not like God is up in heaven with a lightning bolt saying, oh, come on, come on, sin one more time so I can send you to hell. I'm not being disrespectful, guys. What I'm saying is some of you actually think God works that way. You know what God is, you know what God is in heaven saying? He's with his arms open wide saying, please, Come to me, let me forgive your sins. But you know what he does? Instead of destroying us the moment we sin, instead he takes, you could say, a spiritual poker and he prods us and says, hey, listen, you need to get saved. Hey, you need to get saved. Some of you have been hearing this all the time at your church and you keep ignoring it. Young people, can I tell you something? When you experience what we call conviction, when God kind of pokes us and says, hey, you need to get right with God. Hey, you need, to, you need to accept Jesus as your savior from your sins. That is God's gentler method of trying to get your attention. So one day God will stop using the gentle method. And you're gonna wish you had listened while he was being gentle. And so Paul needed learned he had to listen to conviction, but then as he gave his testimony and as God, uh, as he got saved there on the road to Damascus, God also commissioned him and said, okay, you're gonna go out now and be a preacher of the truth of God. And so in verse 18, one of the things he says is, Paul, as you go out and you preach to people now about the Jesus who you've accepted, verse 18, he says, you're gonna go to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. You know what God wants to do this, this morning? Is he, want to, he wants to open your eyes to realize that Jesus could be your savior this morning. He wants to open your eyes to, so that you realize the truth that you are a sinner. Young people, you are a sinner just as much as I am. Every one of us has sinned against a holy God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. Guys, it doesn't get any more blunt than that. And you say, well, I don't view myself as a sinner. That's nice. When you stand before God, he's not gonna say, well, how do you view yourself? Because that's how I'm gonna judge you. No, no, no. He is gonna say, I've already declared it. You are a sinner. So you can ignore it if you want to. You can rephrase it if you want to. You can, uh, you can laugh at it if you want to. But when you stand before God one day, you won't laugh. Because God says, all have sinned. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Every one of us has sin. And so, and so Paul's message now is to open the eyes of people to see the truth that, uh, that we are sinners and that our sin must be punished. 
Young people, the big deal about sin, maybe you say, why is it such a big deal that I, that I worry about the fact that I'm a sinner? It's because of this. God must pour out punishment upon sin. Why? You know something? If um, in the court systems of America, if a guy or a girl was guilty of a crime and the judge just said, you know what? You can be the exception. You know what? I'm going to let you off. Just try not to do that anymore. We'll let you go. No, no, no. We would call that judge not fair, especially if that person had like done something to you, stolen something from you. You'd be upset. We want to, do you know one of the jobs of judges is? A job of a judge is to punish crimes. Well, the Bible describes God as a judge. If he's going to be fair, he's got to punish sin. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages, the payment for sin is death. It's God, listen, God does not send people to hell because he gets joy out of seeing suffering. God sends, oh, well, I should say this. We send ourselves, we give God the green light to send us to hell because we are the ones who reject his free offer of salvation. And when people die in their sins and spend eternity in a lake of fire, young people, it's not because God didn't try to save you from your sins. It's not because God doesn't care about you. In fact, God cared about you so much, he put you in a room where you could hear that Jesus wants to save you from your sins. You gotta come to, we gotta come to grips with that truth, the truth and the truth that Jesus is the only payment for our sins. That when Jesus died on the cross, by the way, that's why Jesus had to die because your sin and my sin, it had to be paid for with death. You realize that? The wages of sin is death. Only death will pay for your sins. That's why baptism will not pay for your sins because it ain't death. That's why communion will not pay for your sins because it ain't death. That's why church membership and good works and good deeds and reading the Bible and being from, a, being from Christian parents' home, that's why none of that stuff will pay for your sins because none of that is death. Only death will pay for your sins. Young people, that's why Jesus died. Because he loved you so much. In spite of yours and my sins, he loved us so much. John three sixteen says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, said, whosoever, believeth, depends upon him to save him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Young people, has there ever been a time when you put your dependence on Jesus alone to save you from your sins? Hey, has that happened for you? Or are you still pushing it off? Some of you, this is not new to you. You've heard plenty of people that have said, hey, you need to ask Jesus to be your savior. Hey, you need to, you need to get, your, get your sin right with God and yet you push it off and push it off. Maybe even you say, you know, it's probably a good thing that I ought to, it's a good thing to get saved and to know Jesus as my savior. Maybe you say, I, I probably ought to do that sometime. Maybe you're one of those almost a Christian. Or maybe you, again, you're playing the fake and you're like, ah, oh, it'd be embarrassing right now to get saved and to, to admit that I've been a fake this whole time. Oh, it's gonna be kind of embarrassing. Oh, wait on this thing. Listen to me, you almost a Christian. It is a dangerous thing to play that game. How so? Look, if you would, the Bible. It says in Acts, uh, after, after Paul gives his testimony about how God had spoken to him and how God had changed his, his mind and changed his life, Festus responds in verse number 24. Festus, the Roman procurator, says, as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. You know what that is? That's fancy old English for Paul, you're insane. 
Because Festus, he's a Roman. I mean, yes, they had Roman, they had some Roman gods and some Roman religion, but really the, the Romans were very secular people. And so in his mind, all he's thinking is, why in the world would you want to stay in prison for the sake of Jesus and religion and all that? Sounds like the dumbest idea. You're insane. And you know what Paul does is he turns really from Festus. He says, no, I'm not insane. But what he does is he turns to Agrippa. You didn't forget about Agrippa, did you? Remember, Agrippa is a Jew, which means this. Agrippa more than likely grew up hearing the Bible taught. That may have been taught the perfectly right way, depending on you know, the Pharisees and all, but he at least knew major portions of the Bible. And we'll see that here in a second. He knew the Bible. And as, and as Paul described Jesus and said, he's the answer, he's the savior. He says, actually, Paul even said to Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, verse 27, believest thou the prophets? Do you not believe that the prophets talking about the scriptures? Don't you believe the Bible? And, and uh, the apostle Paul looks at Agrippa in verse 27 and says, I know you believe. He says, I know that you know that all the truth you just heard is truth. He says, Agrippa, I know that you know that Jesus is the Savior. You just got to decide if you're going to make him your Savior. And in verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He says, oh, you know, Paul, you almost got me. Not now. He said, almost, you've persuaded me. Well, what would be the reason? Why would he say that when he clearly knew, just like you, that he needed to accept Jesus as his savior? And what, why do other people, why why, maybe do you in this room, why are some people almost a Christian? You know, there could be multiple reasons. One could be pride. You know, Agrippa would have been very proud of who he was and uh, of, uh, of his status as a Jew. He may have been too proud to admit that he was a sinner. Maybe he was just like you and too proud to admit all the wrong he had done. Maybe he was too proud to admit that he thought good works would get him to heaven and now he's got to accept this Jew, Jesus, who has died on the cross, that he's my savior for my sins. Maybe he was too proud. You know, maybe it wasn't pride. Maybe the reason he was only almost a Christian was people. You know one of the reasons he may have said, ah, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. You know why that may have happened? Remember, the Roman governor, why did, why did Agrippa come down to see the Roman governor in the first place? He came down to make friends and to be buddies with this new Roman procurator. And the Roman procurator said, Paul, you're insane. What's it gonna look like if Agrippa says, Paul, I believe you, I wanna accept Jesus. You know what the Roman procurator's gonna do? What's up with you? You're nuts too, you know, some of you in this room, you know why some of you may not accept Jesus as your savior today? It's because you're too scared of what the person down the aisle is gonna think about you. And guys, can I tell you something? When you stand before God one day, your friend will not stand with you to defend you. He or she will not be there. Some of you are so scared to accept Jesus as your savior because you are trying to impress. There's some guy that you want to like you. There's some girl that you want to like you. And you're so scared about that happening. You think, oh man, if I, if I become a Christian, if I become a true follower of Jesus, they're not gonna wanna date me. They're not gonna wanna be around me. Young people, is that worth it? To be almost a Christian? Maybe it was people, maybe it was pride, or maybe it was simply procrastination. Just putting it off. That's what probably some of you in this room are doing. You're putting off. You know, you're just like Agrippa. He knew that he needed to accept Jesus as his savior. But he wouldn't do it. Procrastinate. Maybe he thought, I'll do it another time. 
procrastinating, put it off. You know, in Isaiah 55, God says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. It says, draw, uh, call ye upon him while he is near. In other words, right now, God may be pounding on your heart saying, hey, come on now, let's quit the faking. Let's quit all this and you better come to Jesus. You better get saved. You better ask Jesus to save you from your sins. You know, God's not gonna knock on your heart like that forever. You better be careful because you've already pushed him away. Some of you have pushed him away quite a few times already. How much longer is he gonna keep on poking before he says, that's it? I gave you your chance and now it's over. And that's why 2 Corinthians um, 6 verse two says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, Satan's desire is that you'll wait, delay, put the decision off till tomorrow. Young people, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Can I give you a story that I'm, uh, I heard? It was um, relayed by a guy. His name was Pastor Phelps. He lived like in the early 1900s. So it's not someone that probably anyone here w- would know. Um, but he was someone who lived in the early 1900s. Not sure if he even lived in America. Might have been over in, uh, in Europe. But he gave, um, kind of gave a testimony. He said there was a girl... As he was relating this story, he says, there was a young lady, I didn't quite, couldn't quite get a name, it looked like her name was Abby from some of the writings, so I'm just gonna call her Abby because he wasn't real clear on what her name was. But um, this girl, Abby, lived, oh, here we go, it was in New England was where they were at. And uh, this girl, Abby, she had Christian parents, she came from a Bible background, and according to his words, he said from her earliest years, Abby had, quote, entertained the expectation of becoming a Christian before she died. You know what that is? Fancy English for Abby planned on getting saved at some point before she died. And according to the story, Abby one morning awoke. She said God put an impression on her heart and just had put such pressure on her, said that when she awoke, she knew she needed to get saved then and that her soul was in imminent danger of being lost if she delayed when she woke up. And God was pounding, she, God was doing that poking. God was all over her, was all over her with the conviction and showing how much she needed a savior. And you know what ended up happening was she deliberated back and forth, just like some of you are doing right now. Deliberating back and forth. Oh, should I get saved? Should I not? I really need to. Should I? Should I? I just don't know. And she put it off. She said, I'll do it tomorrow. Those were her words. She said, I'll do it tomorrow. And according to Pastor Phelps said that the cares of the day, just normal everyday stuff came up and she never got saved by the end of the day. The next day came and the same thing happened. She felt guilty because she had violated her conscience and so because she had put it off, but she kept on putting it off. Day after day, this continued on for several more mornings until eventually, notice this, eventually as she was putting, uh, putting Jesus off over and over, that pressure and that guilt she was feeling every morning began to get less and less and less and less and less until finally she just kind of said, you know what, I'll just handle it later in life. Mm-hmm. Pastor Phelps said he didn't really see her much after that, uh, uh, much after these decisions were made in her heart. He said three months later, hadn't seen this girl in three months, he said, I got a call. They said, get here fast. She's on her deathbed. This girl was 16 years old, contracted some kind of a disease, and the symptoms had gotten so bad, they told her that morning, you probably won't live out the day. Now, people, can you imagine being 16, just like some of you are, and knowing you're not going to live out the day? And he came to her bedside, and there had been many people that had gathered 
And he said, we knelt at her bedside. He said, most of the morning was employed either in prayer at her bedside or attempting to guide her to the Savior. But he said this, he said, it all of a sudden was no longer effective. It was almost like she didn't even care anymore. It was almost like she couldn't process it anymore. And he said, her strength was nearly gone. He said, we could actually see the death sweat accumulating on her forehead. And she began to cry out as, as people around her would pray for her. And they were pleading with her to come to Jesus. Pastor Phelps said, we all knelt again at her bedside and prayed. He said, I tried to direct her to the Savior, but she interrupted me saying with emphasis, I cannot be pardoned. It's too late. It's too late. But as they continued on, Pastor Phelps begged her and begged her to get saved, but she wouldn't do it. And at the last, the last thing he did was he, she pulled him close and she said, you go back to the, teen, the young people is what she told him. Go to the young people. And the last words they heard from her was she told Pastor Phelps, warn them warned them, and shortly after that, she had a convulsion and died. Look, I'm not trying to intimidate you, manipulate you, or scare you. I'm trying to tell you this. You are foolish to procrastinate because we don't know when we're gonna step into eternity. Some of you think this is funny, and some of you think, oh, well, this is something I can pass on. Don't do it. Don't pass on it. Accept Jesus as your savior. Let me give you a... Um, a good story to close us here is I also read a story about a man who was, uh, there was a mining community here in the United States. They would dig into the mines and do a variety of things there. Uh, mining out the, uh, the, the, um, natural resources that were down there. There was a, a chaplain that did some services in that area, and as he was doing services, there was this one man that stayed after one of his messages. The guy knew he needed to be saved. He just wasn't fully understanding all of what Jesus did for him. The preacher was going over the gospel over and over. Guys, they, this preacher and this miner, they stayed till 11 o'clock at night, and the preacher finally said, all right, listen, why don't you just go home, get some rest, I'll have a service tomorrow. You come on back. I'll preach again. We'll discuss it again if it still doesn't make sense. And the guy said this. He said, no. He said, it is tonight or never. I can't leave until this is settled. And they continued on for several more hours until 3 o'clock a.m. It's just the understanding of the gospel, what Jesus had done for him. He said the light just kind of poured on him. He just understood it. And the man accepted Jesus as his Savior. And he raised his hands to heaven and said, it's settled now. Christ is mine. Well, at 3 o'clock a.m., that means it's almost time to go to work if you're a miner. And so, uh, so he went to work a couple hours later. You know something? Uh, I've never lived in a mining community, but I'll tell you this. Especially in old town mines, the worst thing you could ever hear in a mine was to hear a rumble and feel a shudder. What probably wasn't an earthquake. You know what's happening? Part of the mine has collapsed. And if you're up on top, you're thinking only one thing. My family member, where are they? Were they under the rubble that just collapsed? Are they back behind it, so now they're trapped with limited oxygen? Were they on this side? Are they gonna be able to get up? Are they already up? And nobody knew. And the part of the mine collapsed, and, and young people, the, they began to make efforts to get down to the people that were trapped down there. They found this miner who had been at the chapel the night before, and they found him, and he had already, the, the rocks were crushing him, and he was not going to make it out of the mine. He was dying as they were bringing, up, bringing him up. And you know what his last words were? Remember the girl's last words? Abby's last words were, warn them, warn them. You know what this miner's last words were? Thank God it was settled last night. Why are you going to wait? Why are you going to keep going on being almost a Christian? Can I tell you something? God wants to bless you with the knowledge of having eternal life. 
He wants, to, he wants to enjoy a walk with you and he wants to enjoy eternity with you. Why do you keep pushing him away? Is your sin that much fun? Listen, one day your sin is gonna chew you up and spit you out and not care about anything about you. But Jesus will always be there. So will you accept him as your savior? Or are you gonna delay again?